If you're able, please stand with me as I read Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Good to be here. Thank you for your prayers. We're continuing our study of Colossians. An overview of where we're at right now in Colossians 3, and we're beginning verses 5 through 11. That particular paragraph has a key phrase in it, put to death, or put away or put off. In the grand scheme of the chapter and close of this book, the next paragraph will be put on. That's one of the key phrases. So this paragraph is put off. The next paragraph covering verses 12 through 17 is put on. just want you to see the kind of big picture of where we're at in this book because it's having some instructive language here. Then Colossians 3, 18 uh, clear into chapter 4, verse 1, we look at to be subject to. That's the key phrase there, submit and obey. And then Colossians 4, 2 through 6, that paragraph, the emphasis is watch and pray. So these are the next kind of four uh, instructive paragraphs that Paul is going to be teaching on. And this first one we're going to look at today, really pretty briefly and mostly emphasized in the first couple of verses of put to death. And that's what I titled it. And I, I said, therefore, put sin to death. That's the emphasis on this paragraph, the first instructive part of this letter after we've covered verses 1 through 4 is put to death sin, what is earthly in you. So I want to look at first that connection of this paragraph and all these four paragraphs that I just mentioned are connected with this word therefore. Now in some uh, translations that's the first word here, therefore put to death. The ESV says put to death therefore. So this therefore is there for a reason. And it's there connecting you with all that Paul has announced in the gospel, but very specifically what we've covered in verses 1 through 4. Now, what were the imperative instructions that Paul commanded in verses 1 through 4? He commanded this. He commanded that we keep seeking the things above. And he commanded us to set our mind on things above. So he gave these two uh, commands and because of those two commands and the commands in those four verses, therefore he's going to give you these instructions because when you do that, here is how it affects what you do. He's going to give us instructions. A lot of people like instructions. Let's get down to the part of the book where you actually tell us what to do, Apostle. Give us your apostolic authority, anointing from God to tell us what to do. So he has commanded, 
in verses 1 through 4 to keep seeking the things above and to set your mind on things above. And you would think that would leave you and your mind with things in the clouds, but it doesn't. It's there, therefore, to come down into something very concrete, which are some concrete expressions of living, and the first concrete instruction, because you're setting your mind on things above, and because you're seeking things above, is something very concrete. Now that sounds very ethereal, right? Setting your mind on things above. Woo, you're in the clouds. But then he's saying, because of that, we're in this instruction part where he's saying it's, it brings you down to something very concrete that you do. Therefore, because of this, we're going to enter into this instruction. And the first thing is therefore is put to death. But it's, it's there for a reason. And one of the commentaries, one of the best commentaries on Colossians written by O'Brien, he says the exhortation to seek the things above and to set your mind on things above find their concrete expression and application. A lot of people say, let's get to the application. Okay, you do this. So here's the application. The first imperative in these next paragraphs that are all going to be therefore because of verses 1 through 4, here's how you're going to apply that, is put to death. Then in verse 8, in, 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 you know, in similarity to that, he's going to use this phrase, put away... Or put off. So he's telling you to do something. He's saying put to death. Because you're setting your mind on things above. You know, you're seeking things above. What you're going to do is this concrete expression of putting to death something. Putting away something. Putting off something. It is an injunction. And it involves what we might categorize as something concrete as spiritual warfare. That is, you are in a battle when you start talking about putting to death something. You're talking about battling something that's very concrete, something practical, something in application that you can do. The instruction here, the imperative of the apostle is to put something to death. Put to death your sinful pursuits. You're pursuing something else. You're pursuing a state that you're in with union with Christ. This is another thing verses 1 through 4 has done. It said, you have been raised with Christ. You have died with Christ. So you're in union with Christ resurrected. You're in union with Christ who died on the cross. And because of that union, you don't want disunion with sin and what sin brings. So you put to death. Because of your union with Christ, therefore, put to death the things that are earthly in you. It's like there's things above and there's things below. There's things in heaven and there's things on earth. And he's using these comparisons. If you're thinking and you're seeking and you're pursuing your union with Christ because that's who you are in him, if you've been raised with him and if you've died with him, are you a Christian? Or have you been raised with Christ? Have you died with him? Paul's saying... You have, you're Christians, he's speaking to Christians, and he's saying, therefore, because of that union with Christ, you put to death the things that are earthly in you, because you're united in heaven with Christ. So this is his instruct, instruction, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. And, and earthly sounds kind of weird. It's not really a term that the Apostle Paul uses a lot in other places to say what's earthly in us. And so when we look at the other scriptures, how he goes on to explain what is earthly, I'm going to ask what is earthly in you. And I'm going to look at some other scriptures to explain what the Apostle Paul is saying by what is earthly in you. And here's another way he says it. In the following verse in our text, in Colossians 3, 9, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. I'm asking, what is earthly in you? The old self is earthly in you. The old self is another way of saying what's earthly in you. Uh, 
some of the other versions will translate that, the old man. What does that mean, the old self, the old man? Uh, in other scriptures, uh, this, this old self, this old man is, is, yes, what is earthly in you, but it's the old person that you were before Jesus saved you. That's what he's saying, that, that old person that you were before you were united to Christ. Okay? You need to put to death that old person. This is another way of saying it. Our old self. This is what he said in Romans 6. He uses this word old self a lot. This is one of his more preferred ways of talking about our old sinful nature before we knew Jesus. In Romans 6, 6, he says, we know that our old self, that same word, old man, was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You see that crucifixion of our old self? That our body of sin might be come to naught so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He's saying that old self was enslaved to sin. But when you crucify that old self with Jesus, you break the slavery of sin. You break it. You come into union with Christ. So what is earthly in you? The old self. The old enslaved to sin self. That's earthly in you. In Ephesians, Paul said it this way. He uses the old self again. In Ephesians 4, 22, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Your old self is your former manner of life before you came to know Jesus. Your former manner of life. He describes the former manner of life in Ephesians 4.22 as corrupt through deceitful desires. You were corrupt through deceitful desires. Your desires took you in all kinds of wrong directions, lured you into lies, promised you things and never delivered. It was deceitful. It was corrupt. This was your old self. This is the Paul term Paul uses in the Ephesians. Romans 8, Paul uh, moves into this flesh versus the spirit kind of thing. What is earthly in you? What is earthly is fleshly in you. This is another way the Apostle Paul addresses what is earthly in you, by saying what is fleshly in you. And in Romans 8, 9, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's comparing and contrasting. You're not in that old man anymore, that old self, that earthly person, that fleshly person. You following me, saints? Galatians 5, the apostle Paul likes to use that word flesh and spirit again. What is earthly in you? It's what's fleshly in you. Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh has desires, and he lists them, and the list there is much longer. The desires of the flesh, the sins that the flesh is deceived into pursuing uh, in that life that we once had when we were without God and without Christ in the world. These are different ways that uh, Paul uses this term, what is earthly in you. What is earthly in you? is fleshly. What is earthly in you is the old self. But also, it's not just your old self. It's, it's not just this sinful old way that you'd be. These sins have a demonic component to them. James talk, talks about the wisdom that comes, uh, that doesn't come from above. He's comparing above and below too. And here he says the wisdom that, uh, that is not which comes down from above. And here's how he describes it. Earthly, that's what we're talking about. What is earthly in you? And he describes it, this type of wisdom that comes from the earth, not from above, but from earthly. It's earthly, natural, and demonic. He adds this demonic component to what sin is. Sin has a demonic influence to it. James 3, 6 talks about this member of our body, the tongue, which is set among the members as to which defiles the whole body through our words. And, and James is really after the tongue. So is Paul here in Colossians. He's very much talking about slander, malice, lying to one another. He's talking about that tongue there. He's talking about, and James here says that it's not only earthly, 
So you could kind of put it, well, it's earthly, it's natural, it's like, yeah, it's who, who are, we're all sinners. But there's a spiritual demonic component to it that uh, James talks about even with the tongue. He says in verse six, 6, he says, our tongue is a fire, a very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body and its parts to defile the whole body. It sets on fire the course of our life. And listen to this, and it is set on fire by hell there's a demonic component to it james is trying to say and there's a wisdom that comes from this earth that is earthly unspiritual natural and it's demonic and so we're not just playing around with something here the apostle paul is very uh, authoritative when he comes here in verse five and he says therefore put to death what is earthly in you he is being serious he is not playing around. He's not saying this is just something you play around with. This is a serious instruction of a battle that you're in for your very life. It's what's earthly in you. Maybe what's natural in you it is the old self. It is out to enslave you. It is out to destroy you. It's sin. You're no longer in union with sin. You're in union with Christ. Put it to death. Come on, saints. Get in that battle. Don't lie lethargic. Wake up. Sin's out to destroy you. Paul knows this. He's warning the people, don't play around with this. The authority is strong here. I can't think of any stronger language than to say, put to death what is earthly in you. I'm not saying that. The Apostle Paul is saying that. The Word of God is saying that. It doesn't matter how much I emphasize it, cry over it, beg or anything. It's the power of what the Word of God is saying. And the power is in his word. And his spirit uses his word to speak to us. And it's speaking to us today. The Holy Spirit is teaching. The Holy Spirit is taking the word and saying, put to death what is earthly in you. Saints, don't flirt around with it. Play around with it. Let's put it to death. Let's crucify it like we've been crucified with Christ. No longer has any part in us and our union with us. What are these earthly things? Well, Paul gives many lists in each of these chapters where I mentioned the old self. Gives a list in each one of them, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. But there's usually a list that comes. He just wants you to have some clear examples of what is earthly in you and these sins. Here he lists sexual immorality. This is porneia, uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, a misuse of the gift that God has given us in sexual pleasure to be in union in marriage, to build relationship. Instead, you take it and you use it outside of that, outside of the intention that God gave it. Impurity, passion, evil desire. These are things that Paul confronts first here. We might say, oh, Paul's on his thing again against all of these things. He is, but there's an emphasis here that comes up and covetousness which is idolatry now there's an emphasis there everybody says it that are, are people that study the word theologians greek scholars they look at this and say there's a list going uh in the in the second list there's a list that's going but nothing like is stated right here and covetousness the and doesn't need to be there and then the description of what covetousness is which is idolatry, isn't in any of the other ones. He's not explaining those. Here there is an emphasis on covetousness, which is idolatry. There is an emphasis to the fact that all of our sin has its root in covetousness and idolatry. What it is, is it's a matter of what you love that's what the apostle paul is saying here it is not only what you love but who you love and what sin is always doing is trying to separate you from the most important person in your life that you should love with all your heart with all of your soul with all of your might the first commandment from god and to have no other idols before you you should be committed com completely devoted to him and on the tail end of that the last commandment which is you shall not covet you shall not love things you shall not love the other things like your neighbor's wife you should not love what your neighbor has you 
shall not inordinately want and desire these covetous things that are not yours. God will give you what is yours. He will give you your own loves for him. He will give you your own loves for family. He will give you your loves for your own wife, for the love for, for what God has blessed you with. Why do you covet what others have? Why do you covet their wife, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's things? Coveting is rooted in idolatry. And he's emphasizing that. You might think that the church emphasizes all the sexual immorality things, the adulteries. But what Paul is saying here is these things are rooted in a false love of something other than God. And that's what he's going at. He's going at the heart, he's going at the heart of that. And when he hits that list of anger, wrath, malice, slander, all of these things, lying to one another, has to do with how you treat one another, how you love God, and how you love one another. It's rooted in those commands. But coveting, which is idolatry, is at the root of all of our sin. Just ask yourself, you know, that lure, that deceit of sin is to lure you away from your devotion and your love and your whole heart and soul, mind, and strength loving God. So all sins do. They lure you away. They, they get you to be covet other things. They get you to uh, commit idolatry. See, a lot of people think, you know, we don't commit idolatry. That's really primitive. Idolatry is something, you know, these people made these little idols with, and they, you know, they, they, they worship them, you know, and they bow. We don't do that anymore. That's so primitive. I mean, idolatry is not even around anymore. You know, all these weird things and the old primitive thing, child sacrifice, things like that. You know, I mean, it won't happen anymore. Because it's very different, our child sacrifice today. Our child sacrifice today is once you start loving, for instance, your career and your pursuit of work, and, and you love that more than your wife and your children and your family, what happens? You sacrifice your wife and your family. Why? For work. It's a child sacrifice. You're sacrificing that because you don't spend any time with them. You leave them alone because you're pursuing this, right? You're pursuing it more than that. You know, you get your, Augustine dis, dis, uh, described it like this, you have disordered loves. And that disordered love always has the root of not loving God first. Always starts there. Always starts with replacing God with something. And it's not just always uh, uh, right in your face type of sins. It's taking things and putting them. Oh, this is a good thing. Just do all that. Put all your energy towards this and forget this. And when you do that, you sacrifice that when your loves are disordered. And that's what covetousness is. It's a disordered love. Getting, getting your loves um, just messed up. Messed up loves. So, this unique list emphasizes covetousness and idolatry. The Bible, then, does not consider idolatry to be one sin among many and something rare that's only found in primitive people. Rather, all of our failures to trust God wholly and to live rightly before God have their root in idolatry. Something that we make more important than God. Uh, there, there's always a root reason for our sin. And what that root reason is, is idolatrous desires. John put it this way, and I love the way he put it in 1 John 2. He said, do not love the world. Now you look at, he's contrasting loves. He's contrasting covetousness, idolatry. Who do you love? He's getting at the root of that. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. This is earthly. This is earthly. This is Paul's way of saying what's earthly in you. He's using the word world, worldly. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this contrast. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love both. God says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. You love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. This is the contrast here. It's rooted in our loves. When Paul gives us this instruction to Colossians and he says, covetousness and kai, the Greek word ki, kai, and covetousness, he's emphasizing covetousness. And he's explaining what covetousness is, is which is idolatry. And, and John's saying this same thing. He's on board with it. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Does that sound like all that is in the world? That's how the Apostle John summed it up. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's its source, and it's, stru- it's pulling on your heartstrings of love. Which one are you going to love? The world or the love of the Father? The world is passing away, John said, and all of its lust. Sin's not going to stick around in the kingdom. It's unsustainable, and it will not last. Sin will be obliterated and done away with. If you want to pursue something that's sustainable in your life, pursue righteousness. Because that's going to be around forever. Pursue your union with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Keep setting your mind on the things. Put to death these things. They're unsustainable. They will not last. They will not work in the kingdom of God. They will not be sustained in the kingdom of God. They will not be around. I like living for something that's sustainable, that's going to be around forever. You know what's going to be around forever? God and His ways and His righteous ways. So live in them. Pursue something that's going to last forever. Come on, sustainable people. Come on, you recyclers. Get on board with the kingdom. Do you love the world or do you love the Father? Things of this world, they're just lust. They're temporary passing things. They will all pass away. And covetousness, which is idolatry, is passing away. Our sin is serious, though. It's about what we love. It's no trivial thing. Because what our whole lives are about are about what you love. You woke up this morning because you love something. Everybody gets up because they love something. They, and when they don't, it's when you start getting really dark. There's, there's nothing that, that I have a reason to live for. There's nothing that I love. So some, we're loving something. We, we get up. And, and the motivation of what the biblical uh, imperative is from the apostle is that we love God. With everything, with our all. Uh, we, don't, we don't put anything above him, next to him, beside him. There's no one besides God. There's no one equal beside him. He is above all things. He captures our heart. He's the treasure of our heart. Colossians, uh, back in 2, 1 through 3, said, In Christ are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are in him. Everything's in him. Everything's in him. He captures our heart. He's the treasure of our heart. So, When sin comes in, we put it to death. It's serious. Now the next verse in in Colossians 3, 6 says this. I know this is a fun subject to tackle, right? The wrath of God. Everybody loves coming to church to hear about that, right? But that's what's in this next verse. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Yeah, the wrath of God's coming. And the wrath of God is coming against sin because God hates sin. It's destroying His creation he is destroying what he created each one of us to be it is creating what he created this world to be he created this to be his kingdom let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that's what's coming his ways his kingdom on this earth That is what is above, coming to what is on earth. This is the prayer of Jesus. This is the prayer from the beginning of the Bible. Develop this earth, Adam. Cultivate this earth, Adam. Bring what is from above down into this earth and make it material. And it is. And it is happening. And when you sin, it's doing the opposite of of that. It's not bringing his ways and his kingdom to bear on this earth his wrath is something that we walk in when we live our life before jesus here's what jesus said in john 3 36 he said the wrath of god is coming upon the wrath of god will come on the disobedient whoever does not obey the son shall not see life that's what jesus said but the wrath of God remains on him. This is what Jesus said. The wrath of God remains on him. It doesn't say that it just came on him and is leaving. It's saying it's already on him. And because he doesn't believe in the Son, it remains on him. Wrath remains on them because of sin. It is already there. It's there by our nature. 
Ephesians 2, 3 says that we are children of wrath, that we are sons of disobedience. This is how the Bible describes the person outside of Christ, which was all of us. This is our old self. This is our earthly self. This is our fleshly self. The wrath of God abided on us and remained on us, just like Jesus said in John 3, 36. But Romans, Paul describes this impenitent heart. He says if you're unrepentant, your hard and impenitent heart, unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, God's judgment, his wrath, that abides on sin and against sin is just, first of all, and it's righteous. That's hard to understand because man's anger and man's wrath is all messed up because we don't have all the facts. Uh, James said the anger, the wrath of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. It doesn't do that. But God's anger and wrath is just and righteous. That's what it's saying here in Romans 2. God's righteous judgment will be revealed against sin. And it's righteous. God has all of the facts. In fact, in Romans 2, uh, later on in 15 and 16, he says, their conscience even, God even knows their very conscience, our very conscience, testifying that their thoughts are accusing or defending them. Even in the consciousness of unregenerate man who the wrath of God is abiding upon, they have even a conscience and understand good and evil what's defending them or accusing them. And in verse 16 of Romans 2, it says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Jesus Christ. Everything will be revealed because God knows everything. You know, in a court case, when a judge is trying to rule between right and wrong, they try to take all this advice, then they try to take all of this, then they have these witnesses, and then the judge can rule. You know, but they're always limited in how much they know about everything. God's unlimited. He knows everything. So when he rules, how does he rule with his judgment? Justly. Righteously. They're perfect. They're complete. His judgments are perfectly satisfying because they're based on all the information. Secrets, consciousnesses, everything that is within us. And his wrath is against Sin, sin is what he hates because it destroys his creation. God's wrath is in perfect harmony with all of his divine attributes. It is his holy action and justice towards persons whose actions deserve eternal condemnation. And that's all of us. Jesus says it remains on all if you do not believe in Jesus. Jesus is that way out of that eternal wrath of God and his condemnation. So when you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with something that the wrath of God abides on. So you know what you want to do with it? Put it to death. Don't play around with it. Wrath of God abides upon it. The wrath of God is coming because of sin. Paul's just emphasizing this. I can't say that, you know, I'm not trying to overemphasize it. I'm trying to say Paul says, put it to death. The wrath of God is coming because of it. And you don't want to be playing around with it as a believer. You want to be putting it to death. You want to be in an active battle, geared up, ready, watching and praying, putting on God's righteousness and pursuing the things of God. You don't want to be lackadaisical over here. This is out to destroy you. Get in gear. Get your battle gear on. And armor up and get ready. Because here's what sin's trying to do. Don't try to tame it. I'll just tame it. I'll put it off, you know. It's our addiction to sin, you know. It's that addicts. Keep, keep the sin around close. In case, you know, I really want to indulge it. I've talked to drug addicts. We think they're, oh, yeah, huh. but we're all addicts to sin. They, they always like to keep somebody that they know around fairly close to them that they're using drugs where they know that whenever, if that sin comes about, they know, I can go get it from this guy he's using. I've talked to addicts over again. They, they know the person. They know the person when they think they're going to stumble, they're going to go get it from. They have them nearby. They have their, and we're the same way. 
We like to play around. We like to keep it close whenever we want and we think, and we got to turn to it, you know, other than to turn to God. Yeah, we're, we're sin addicts. And Paul knows it. And he's emphasizing here, do not keep it around. Put it away. Put it off. Put it far from you. Kill it. Crucify it. That's what he's doing. Don't try to tame it. Acknowledge the predatory nature of sin. Acknowledge the predatory nature of sin. Crouching like a lion, seeking to devour you. He even told Cain that sin is crouching at the door. Told that in the beginning, Genesis 4. Sin is crouching at the door waiting to pounce on you. The predatory nature of sin. we got a bunch of people playing around, not thinking it's no big deal. None of this is any big deal. Paul's saying it's a big deal. When you're seeking the things above, when you're setting your mind on things above, you put to death these things. You acknowledge their predatory nature, which means you're in a fight and you're in a continual fight. How can we get out of this? How can we, you know, there's a lot of instructions here that we'll look at, you know, as we, we dig into these following paragraphs. But one of the things that I see is that fighting involves the aid and the help of the Holy Spirit of Christ who is in you. This is Paul's favorite term. You're in Christ. He preaches the gospel to them. This is who you are. Act like who you are. You are in Christ. You are in union. Have you been raised with Christ? Keep seeking the things above. Have you died with him? You're hidden with Christ. You're hidden with him. See, in you, Colossians 1.27, the hope of glory, the mystery of the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Do the things of Jesus. He's in you. Act like the nature of the new man. That's what we're going to get into. So that's one of the things you do. You preach the gospel to yourself by soaking yourself in the word, describing who you are. And the Spirit takes the Word and He makes it powerful and mighty through God in you. This is what Jesus used in His temptation. Turn these breads, these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's the sword of the Spirit coming out and... There you go, devil. I'm putting you to death and I'm putting this temptation to death. I'm not playing around with this temptation. The Holy Spirit is using the Word of God like a sword. He ain't playing around with it, and neither should you. Oh, throw yourself down from here. Oh, the Scripture says the angels will guard you. You shall not tempt as it is written, the Lord your God. I'm going to throw myself off just to tempt God to save me. I'm going to twist the Word, devil. You've got to know the Word. Jesus knew the word. He was the word. And he's given you the word because he's in you. And you've got to use the word. You've got to study, saints. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to open it up. You've got to know what to say to put to death sin. The Holy Spirit uses the word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Saints got to get in their Bibles. Bow down and worship me. Just bow down. I'll make it easy for you, Jesus. I'll give, you, give it to you all the easy way. So worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Whew. I'm not going to play around with you. I'm going to bow down and worship your easy out way. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know that the Lord says the Wrath of God abides on sin. Kill it. Memorize scripture. 
Study it. The Spirit of God is not trying merely to curb your behavior. He's trying to change your heart. He's trying to change the love of your heart. He's trying to go after covetousness and idolatry in your heart, which is the root of all of the sins that are listed here. The Spirit's not trying to curb your behavior. He's trying to change your heart. You need the Holy Spirit. You need His help to overcome sin. You don't do it in your own strength. You need to change from within. You need to find a greater love. And that greater love is God. And it is in His Son, Jesus Christ, holy and completely. All the treasures, wisdom and knowledge are in Him. Pursue Him. And you will sing and pray and read the poetry of William Cowper, who said, Return, O holy dove, return. Sweet the messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. You know, you could grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Sounds like some old saints back in the 1700s knew the same God that we do today. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame, so purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. going to remember the Lord's death until he comes, his body given for us and his blood shed for us. Um, so come and receive this cup. The bread is in beneath it. Come and receive it as a believer full of faith in the gospel as you return to your seat we'll take it together as a body united in love in our love for God in love for the gift of his son Jesus Christ and united in our love for one another so let us come that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks to the father he said take this is my body given for you take it and eat of it when you do do this in remembrance of me let us partake of the bread together
like manner, Jesus took the cup. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us remember the Lord's death together. We thank you so much, Father, for your love that sent your son, your one and only. You gave him for a bunch of lost sinners like us. Trapped, enslaved in sin, without hope in the world. Because you loved us. Jesus, you came willingly. You're our big brother and friend. You came. You put your arms around us, pulled us close to your chest. And you said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. I will die for these enslaved sinners who deserve your just and righteous wrath. And I'll bring them into peace with you, God. <laughs> peace. Perfect peace. Through the perfect work of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you abide with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You'll make Christ real in us till the day we see him face to face. Jesus, abide with us. Holy Spirit, abide in us. Help us to always remember the Father's love. And please help us to love one another. Help us to walk humbly with you, God. Seek your ways to love one another, Lord, to live the life that you purchased for us, free from sin. Help us to put it to death. Help us to overcome for your name's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together and worship Jesus.
greatest blessing. You are in Christ. You are in the Beloved. You are in union with Him. Walk in that union. Walk in the righteousness of Christ within you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love one another.